as Moses continues his farewell address to the nation, he charges the people to remember their history and the statutes which he has taught them. He commands Israel to be careful to observe, to obey the word of God, and not to sway from him. And then Moses foretells of Israel falling away from God and of the judgment that follows. But then he tells of God's love and his mercy to those who turn to him and repent. Here now is Pastor Jim and his message, Remember What the Lord Has Done. Let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. As we continue our chapter by chapter, verse by verse study in the book of Deuteronomy on Sunday mornings. And how fitting to celebrate the Lord's Supper as we look really through all of Deuteronomy, but especially here in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Um, where we really see the Lord reminding his people and certainly by his spirit reminding us all that he has done. And so the title of this message is Remember What the Lord Has Done. The name of Deuteronomy, if you remember, means second law. And in this book, uh, we're seeing the final message of Moses to God's people. Uh, It covers about a month and a half before uh, Israel would be going into the promised land. And we've seen in the first uh, opening chapters of Deuteronomy that um, they're reviewing the history of Israel and remembering that God was with them as he delivered them from Egypt and as they traveled through the wilderness. And remember that uh, many of those that Moses was sharing with here had not gone through the deliverance of Egypt or having witnessed the Red Sea. And so Moses now, he's uh, sharing with the whole nation, reminding them of God's love, reminding them the truth about God, that he is holy, he is righteous, and he is just. And as we're going to see here, continue to see through Deuteronomy, especially here in chapter 4, the necessity of taking heed to his word. And just as the Lord was using Moses to remind the people to take heed of the word of God before they would enter into the promised land, especially, the Lord reminds us of these things. It's not just a cliche, hey, read your Bibles. There's a reason why you hear week after week after week, take heed to the word of God. Because God desires to bless us, to be with us. And the only way we can truly worship God and serve God is by knowing he's the God of the Bible, the God whom he says he is. And so I'm reminded in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter shared this with the saints. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right. As long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So, praise God for his word. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. And now, Lord, we specifically pray for your Holy Spirit to teach us, Lord, as we go through this passage. Lord, every one of us here this morning are in great need of your presence. We are in great need of being instructed by your word to remind us of these very things that you had Moses reminding your people Israel. And today, Lord, we need the same instruction. And so, Lord, would you meet each and every one of us wherever we might be, Lord? You know exactly what we need. What a blessing it is, Lord, the privilege to come together, to assemble together, to praise you and worship and song. Now, Lord, we pray for your spirit. Just meet with our hearts, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's pick up in verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statues and the judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. 
You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. So we know that the Lord had been with the people of Israel for almost 40 years in the wilderness. And it's getting very close to that time that they would be entering into the promised land. And for you and I, the promised land isn't necessarily heaven. Sometimes we have that mindset that the promised land is eternity in heaven. But for you and I as believers, Jesus came to give us life, not only eternal life in heaven, but eternal life began the very moment we came to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So it's the life in Christ that God offers us, life in him. And here the instruction is that they would be careful to observe the word of God. And what an exhortation for you and I this morning, that we would be careful to observe the word of God. Think of what Jesus told his disciples and to others in Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things, these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And of course, in the book of James, it tells us to be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so we're to listen. Moses said, now, oh, Israel, listen. And that's what, that's what the Lord's telling you and I this morning. Hey, Calvary Chapel, listen. Observe the word of God. And to observe or to listen to the word, it means to take heed, to obey. And how important this is for you and I in a day and age that uh, it's being proclaimed all over, there is no truth, right? E- even that statement, how foolish is that? There is no truth. Uh, does that mean your statement saying there's no truth? Does that mean it's not a true statement? Um, I digress a little bit here, but you get the point. God's word is truth. And it's authoritative for you and I. And we cannot add or subtract to it. And it's foolish to do so. Because in God's word, he says that if we abide in him, the truth shall set us free. In a world that is in bondage to sin, without the truth of God and the truth of his word, it will remain in bondage. Think about what Jesus said then and the importance of not adding or subtracting to the word of God. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 18 says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And again, Jesus gives us uh, that warning. And so for you and I, we need to keep intact the word of God. We have to believe that it's the Word of God, the Bible. I remember several years ago, we had a missionary come to church, and he was uh, in, from Europe, and he reported to us that um, much of the church in Europe does not even believe the Bible is the Word of God. And my mindset, uh, which isn't big, uh, why would you have church if you don't have the Word of God? And it's so important for you and I because it's easy to, to think in terms of God from a feeling or an emotion. Our feelings and emotions, they're real, uh, they're valuable, but they're not always true. My feelings and emotions changed when I watched the Buckeyes this year, right? That's true for all of us. Our feelings and emotions need to be rooted in the Word of God, and when the enemy strikes up feelings and emotions that aren't true, we're going to know from the Word of God. We can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And it's not just a book, is it? It's just not a bunch of rules and regulations. This is the living word of God. Again, it's authoritative for you and I. Verse 3 says, Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God had destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal Peor. But you held fast to the Lord, your God, and are alive today, every one of you. So what's this all about? Well, you remember 
uh, the prophet Balaam was hired by uh, the Moabite king Balak, and he desired that uh, Balaam would curse the nation of Israel. And remember, God wouldn't let him do it. However, because Balaam wanted the money, as all false prophets do, he wanted the money, it seems, though, false prophets and money. He did counsel, according to the word of God tells us, he did counsel Balak and how to cause the nation of Israel to stumble. And he encouraged to bring the Moabite women close to the nation of Israel, to the sons of Israel. And they eventually would, uh, you know, be, you know, stumble in the midst of sexual immorality. And they ended up worshiping pagan gods. And so the exhortation here, or remembrance for Israel, remember what happened that day. And we know that God judged them. I believe 24,000 of them were, were judged. And again, we're, we're seeing the warning here. God's warning and reminding the people of Israel before they would enter into the promised land. And again, the exhortation for you and I, these things are very relevant to you and I to live the victorious Christian life. If we want life in Christ, it can't happen without obedience. Yes, we can be in Christ positionally, but the fruit, the blessing of God's presence and living in his presence without obedience is impossible. Verse 5 says, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it? as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? And so we're reminded here that of God's choice of Israel, Israel being the apple of God's eye, and Israel is still the apple of God's eye, we do not adhere to any false doctrine such as replacement theology. God still has a plan for his nation, Israel. And we see here that God desired for them, his nation, to be a witness to the world, a light to all the nations. And, he, uh, you know, as they would take heed to the commandments of God and act according to the word of God, their testimony indeed would be that they were a people of God. And so God's laws and statutes, altogether righteous, and they're, they're magnificent in the way that, um, as they are written on our hearts, as it is our testimony that we are people of God. David said, through thy pre- precepts I get understanding, through thy commandments has made me wiser than my enemies. Who wants to be wise? Wise. Wise thing to do to raise your hand, right? Um, Well, we get wisdom and understanding from the Lord and his word. And as we are obedient to him and the light of Jesus Christ flows from us unto the world, we are demonstrated as being wise. We are demonstrated as being God's people. I think of the church again at Thessalonica as they came to know the Lord as Paul and his team preached the gospel there in that pagan culture. And the people repented, they turned to God, they forsook their, forsake their sin, and they began to walk with him, and the Spirit of God moved to them. And the Bible says that everywhere they went, they knew that these Thessalonians were people of the Word of God. They knew who they were. And what an exhortation, again, for you and I today. The world needs the body of Christ to be walking in obedience, no matter, hard, no matter how hard it might be in these days. As we walk in obedience to God, the light of Jesus Christ flows from us and becomes a a witness, a testimony to those who don't know him. Think about what Jesus said in John chapter 17. Not only say it, he prayed this. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. I can't help but to think 
the last couple of weeks doing a lot of outreach. You know, why did we do it? Well, we do it because we like to. It's fun. It's not easy, but it's fun. And there's something about being obedient to God, following him and getting equipped to share the light of Jesus Christ to others. There's, there's a sense of purpose being completed. And it's not that we have to wait for some event. All of us are called to, to witness the love of Christ to others. And again, it's, it's a feeling of purpose. It's a mission. And every one of us have that call, that mission, to demonstrate the love of Christ. And when we do that, the Lord's blessed. And the world knows that we are sent by him. Oh, we might not see it, but people need to hear it. They need to see the body of Christ living out their faith. Verse 9 says, Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Take heed to your life. Take heed to your spiritual life, diligently keeping yourself. And the context here, the mindset here is keeping guard or keeping watch so you don't forget. I don't know, the older I get, the more I forget. I didn't hear any amen, so I might be the only one. Um, but it's interesting how that happens, right? The older you get, it seems like the more you forget. Might not be true for everybody. Um, but even when it comes to spiritual things, you remember, I remember Paul told Timothy, um, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. How easy it is to forget some of the foundations of our faith. I love Tuesday nights and the foundations of discipleship. Basic theology right from the word of God. And it's like sometimes it's like, wow, you, we forget that we forget things about God. We forget things about our relationship with him. We forget, uh, you know, what the Lord has done in our own life. I, I pray that as we read these things of what Moses was sharing with the Israelites, that the, that the Holy Spirit would stir up our hearts and remind us what he's done in our life. And we kind of sang of that this morning. Every one of us are on a journey. It's our story. We have a story in God. We're not all Paul's or Moses or, or Peter. We're, we're, we're fearfully and wonderfully made before the Lord. And he's known us before the foundation of the world. And there was a time when he entered our life, meaning that he revealed himself and we made that response to God. And at that moment of conversion, when we acknowledge that we're sinners and we needed Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice from God to us, we needed him. And then as we confessed Christ with our, our mouth, sincere in our heart, and we became saved, redeemed by the blood of Christ, we remember. I pray that God re stirs up each and every one of our hearts. But you know, when God stirs up our hearts back to the time when we got saved, it's not just for that time. Meaning God wants to, us to be reminded what he's done in our life. Maybe it's 20 years or 25 years or 40 years since we gave our life to Christ. No matter how long it's been, we have a story. Salvation is just the beginning. But then we work out our salvation and our walk with the Lord in our story. And praise God, you're here. He's not done with us. Amen? And we're going to see that God is never done with us. Amen? I'm so thankful we have the promises of God, of his grace and mercy, that he's never done with us. But here we have an important exhortation. And as we know, as we read through the Old Testament, Moses often shared this with the Israelites. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren. That's not a suggestion. It's a command. Not only to the Israelites, but it's a command for you and I. Make known what the Lord has done in our lives to our children and grandchildren. It's not enough, brothers and sisters, especially living in this world that we're living in today. It's not enough just to stay away from sin. God has never called us just to stay away from sin. He's called us into a relationship with him, allowing him to work in us 
certainly separated from the darkness. That's who we are positionally, right? We've been you know, rescued or delivered out of the domain of darkness, and now we live in the kingdom of God, having been forgiven and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But we're to kind of be like a relay to the next generation below us, our kids, our grandchildren. We are to be a relay. We are to relay on from generation to generation of who God is and what he's done for us and how, how much we need to do this. Our kids and our grandkids and the young generation needs to see older generations, their walk with the Lord. I read something very interesting this week, and probably most of us can relate in some fashion, of why kids, when they go to college, why do they fall away from the Lord? I mean, the numbers are really staggering. Kids that have grown up in the Lord, grown up in church, served in youth group, served in praise and worship team, and then when they get to college, all of a sudden it's like a light bulb turns off for them. But I read that it's not always, and most of the time it isn't about their, their worldview changing. Certainly the, the colleges and secular humanism influences our kids and our culture, meaning without God. And they get, they get bombarded with these things immediately when they go off to college. But it's more that their lifestyle become, be, begins to change. Their lifestyle begins to change, and maybe they apt to the world around them. And then when they fall into sin, they can't get out. Or the enemy tells them they can't get out. I find that very interesting because oftentimes we point to the, the colleges and the universities that brainwash our kids. That's the reason why they fall away. And I bring that all the way back. Our kids need to see our life in God and holiness. They need to know when we sin, we go to the Lord to be forgiven because he says he's a God that forgives us. They need to see that we are separated from this world and we're following him. They need to see us reading the scriptures. We need to be reading the scriptures with them and praying. They need to see that we're different than the world. So we have the exhortation, teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord, your God in Horeb. When the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach the children. Then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven, with darkness, cloud, and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. And so we might be thinking, well, what day is this that they stood before the Lord their God at Horeb? Well, this, remember, is the day they received the Ten Commandments three months or so after they left um, Egypt. And remember from Exodus 19, the Lord told Moses to, to consecrate the people or have them consecrate themselves, meaning to, to sanctify, to get ready, to be prepared for what? To hear from the Lord. God was going to speak to them. And they had to wait three days to prepare themselves, to dedicate themselves, to be holy. And you can go back and read that in Exodus Exodus chapter 19. And as God spoke and gave the Ten Commandments, there was a fear about them. I find that interesting. Even Moses was afraid. And it reminds us that the commandments of God, His Word, is holy. He is holy. He is just. The people were terrified because the law of God is holy. They had a fear of the Lord. And when you think about all the different things that we could write down on what's wrong with this world, yes, 
It all comes down to this. People need Jesus, right? That's the problem with mankind, sin. But even in the church world, we can say there is a lack of fear of God. Fearing the Lord, having a reverence to him, fearing him because he's holy and just. And the Bible tells us we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but we do so in a different way. Having received forgiveness, his grace and his mercy, we should have an awe for God, a reverence. We also know that he's coming. Amen? Do we know that he's coming? (laughs) You are paying attention. Thank, Thank the Lord. He is coming. And that alone should cause to work in our hearts, knowing that every one of us are going to stand before the Lord. If you're born again believer, your sin has been forgiven. It's been judged at the cross. Amen. Hallelujah. But we're going to stand before him. That thought alone, we should think in fear, in the sense of he is holy. He knows my whole life. He knows when I'm in a hurry on 275. I always fall back on that. I, I don't drive that fast. That's my wife. I, but the people that pass me, I have thoughts. The Lord knows everything about us. He knows when those, we're, we're still people of flesh. And things pop up. And, and they get in our thoughts and our hearts. And it comes out. Brothers and sisters, we're living in a time that, again, we take these exhortations and fear the Lord, having that reverence for him, knowing that he's coming again, knowing that we are to to be about his business. And the exhortation for Israel here were, you're entering into the promised land. You've seen the Lord do all these things. You need to observe and take heed the word of God. Remember the fear of the Lord that you had or they had as they received the Ten Commandments. Verse 15 says, Take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, and, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. And take heed lest you lift your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. Wow. As we know, the Lord has said when he gave the commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. And here, a reminder. Take careful heed to yourselves. They saw no form as the Lord gave the the Ten Commandments as they were there on the mount, as Moses was on the mount. They, They didn't see a form in the fire, but they heard the voice. And so the exhortation to them is, you saw no form, you heard a voice, but in the mind and the feelings and the emotions, we can crave a God. We can get an image in our mind of what God is like. And interesting that as God said this, we know the story. This is exactly what happened with Israel. Within man, there is that intuition to worship. Man has been created to worship, to worship God. But the danger is it's doing up in our minds and then making carved images, golden calves, statues. And man always tries to do this and essentially trying to humanize God. God is not a human. He sent his son in the flesh, but God is spirit. He has no form. And again, of course, this very thing happened. We know it as idolatry. And again, you think about the world we live in where... where the fear of God is dwindling. Romans chapter 1 comes to mind in light of all the things that we're seeing man coming up with now. You know, God said he created man and woman. Now we have all these different genders that man's coming up with. 
What is that? That is none other than idolatry. And all these other things that man's conjuring up. Not worshiping the creator, but worshiping the creature. It's all idolatry. It all comes from worldview and philosophy that God does not exist. And essentially, we know the spiritual, the spirit behind all of it. Satan. Wanting to be, wanting to be higher than God. Shaking his fist at God. And as Satan tempts and works here on, on this earth, we're living in these days, these end days, before the Lord would come. And we've been warned. Just as Moses was warning the people of Israel, the, the Holy Spirit warns us in these things. So important that our worship of God is spot on. Because if we worship God in a false way, it, it is adultery, thinking that we're worshiping God. And then that, that leads to consequences in life. And again, we're, we're seeing that. It's being played out here on the face of the earth. Verse 20 says, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people and inheritance as you are this day. His people. He created man to have worship or to worship him. Here, the exhortation to Israel but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of Egypt. I love the conjunction, but. Whenever you read that in the scriptures, normally it's a good thing. But God. I love those but God sayings. And here, but the Lord has delivered them out of Egypt. They are his. They've been bought with a price. Verse 21 says, Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not cross over the Jordan, but you shall cross over and possess that good land. This is interesting. Moses uses himself as an example of what not to do. And remember when Moses dishonored the Lord, misrepresented the Lord, hitting the rock? And God judged him. And it was for Israel's good that God judged Moses. What if God didn't judge Moses? Well, there would always be that thought, well, Moses got away with it. How is that holy description of God and his justice? But since he did judge Moses, it was an example to all of Israel that God is holy, he is righteous, he is just. Verse 23 says, Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. God wants his people to be holy, separated from the world, and holy his. He is a jealous God, and that word jealous carries the idea of God's love for people and his longing to possess our whole hearts. God brought them out of bondage and into life. In the same way, he's bought you and I with the blood of Christ. He's delivered us out of Egypt, and he desires for us to be holy. He's jealous in the sense that he is sacred. He doesn't want us to be satisfied with this world. The world, the flesh, and the devil, right? That's what competes for our worship of God. Verse 25 says, When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to, to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods, the work of man's, men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. In other places, this, <laughs> idols are called dumb. They, ha they have no meaning. They're, they're nothing. And isn't it interesting that 
Moses here and his the prophetic word telling us here that he was foretelling of their sin, their, their failure as a nation, and how they would be driven out of the land, and we know this to be true. And God, out of his grace and mercy, sent prophets to them to warn them to turn from their sin. And then as they didn't, as they continued to fall and continued to think they're worshiping God at the same time worshiping pagan gods, and they disobeyed the word of God. And God, because he is holy, righteous, and just, he did what he said he would do. He judged them. And he had, remember, King Babylon, uh, King of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, come. And, and Jerusalem and Israel were, you know, destroyed. And God, according to his word, for 70 years, they, Judah would be held captive in Babylon. And it all goes back to their worship of God. How important is worship for you and I. And I'm not just talking about on Sunday mornings as we sing praise and worship songs to God. Worship's a lifestyle. 24-7, acknowledging who God is and what He's done for us and having that the basis of our life. As we not acknowledge Him, we continue to grow in Him, but we still have this warning that just as Israel was being warned and you know, Moses foretells what's going to happen to them. And no, notice in verse 25 it says, again, when you beget children and grandchildren have grown old in the land. I can't help but to think of our own nation. Our nation is not very old. Don't think that as I bring these things up about the world and our nation and the days we're living in that I don't have hope. I do have hope. It's just not in a government <laughs> or a one-world global government. My hope is in the Lord, that he has already planned what he's going to do, that there is a kingdom coming that is not of this world that we'll spend with him, and then we'll spend eternity with him. Our hope can't be anything in this world. I think it's being played out. Is there anything in this world that we could place our hope and trust in? Thank you for not answering. That's an answer by not answering. I think of our nation and how young we are and how we have been blessed and founded on the principles of God, the blessings of God, and how in such a short period of time things have dwindled. Even in the last 25 years or so since I've been a Christian, 25, 30 years, it's, it's like we're on a fast pace. Again, we know, we know the whole story, praise God, but it's interesting to think when a culture no longer fears God, of how fast it can go down. As people drift from the Lord, just think about that coworker or that family member or maybe even your own children. How time goes on and not reading that scripture one day and not praying one day and how it turns in over time and how the consequences come from that. That's what God was warning Israel. And I believe that's how the Spirit of God is warning his church today, to be focused, to get focused. And it's sad in the history of Israel. But they were not without hope either. Look at verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. So Moses gave the prediction foretelling that Israel was going to fall away from God. But here he also points to the mercy of God, that when they would return to him, that God would be there, as they would seek him with all of their heart. So God's judgment, as we know from the scriptures in history, that Israel for a time, they turned their back on the Lord, and then he would receive them back. And we know that as we read in the book of Daniel, that 70-year period of time, God is faithful to his word. As we read Ezra and Nehemiah, God was faithful to his word. 
They began to seek God. They reinstituted what real worship is. They had to really be nudged by God at times, but God's so faithful. And the point here is his mercy. And we think about our nation and the world that we live in, and we need to call upon God's mercy to be poured out. And he goes on to say, For ask now concerning the days that are past which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one in heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? And so the Lord's like saying, Israel, look. As Moses shared with them, look, look what the Lord has done. Look how he has chosen you. I'm reminded in Deuteronomy chapter 7, we'll get there in a few weeks, of what Moses said about Israel and God's choosing of them. In Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8, The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your father. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. One of the great evidences of the existence of God is the nation of Israel. How else can we describe the nation of Israel without the existence of God? They are God's chosen people. Throughout history, perfect, no. But God chose them because they were imperfect. He chose the nation of Israel. And of course, there are many other specific details of it choosing them but he reminds them look at what God has done how he delivered them from Egypt as we read the scriptures look at what God has done and look what God is going to do amen the Bible essentially essentially from Genesis to Revelation is a love story to the nation of Israel and you and I by the blessings of grace and mercy of God We get grafted in. Amen? Romans 11. So he's reminding them to remember these things. In verse 35 it says, To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might instruct you. On earth he showed you his great fire. You heard, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them, and he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power. Driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. So again, he's reminding them to be reminded. And it's interesting to think, as Israel was in bondage in Egypt, of how they were surrounded by all the gods. And many of them took after those gods. Remember, when God delivered them from Egypt, they were a mixed multitude. But it says here why God chose them and why he delivered them and how he worked in them because of the covenant his covenant of love to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When you think about you and I, we can put our name right in there in verse 35. To you it was shown. Think about that time when you were delivered from the bondage of sin. It might have been when you were a child, teenager. It might have been a couple weeks or a couple months ago, but think about that time. The same God who we're reading of having chosen Israel, is the very same God who has chosen you into a loving 
personal relationship with him. He knew you before the foundation of the world. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you. He's poured out his grace and mercy. We can never, ever as Christians say, well, God doesn't love me. Anybody ever say that? Don't, don't raise your hand. Now, we probably have said, well, where is the Lord? The Lord is right there with you. He's promised that. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 39 says, Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. So again, consider all the evidence of the workings of God in your life, Israel. And it's the same for you and I. Consider all that God has done. Those times when you thought he was far away. Those times when you needed him to intervene in your life. You might even be experiencing now, well, I don't feel, I don't sense God being near to me. That's a feeling. But the word of God is truth. His presence is with you. We cannot explain why some people go through trials and sufferings while other people don't. But we do know that God is perfect in all of his ways. We know that God is faithful to his word. We can see how God worked and intervened in the nation of Israel. And he will, does work in the same way in our lives. But notice here in all of this, God is calling them to obedience. To obedience. Again, living in that victorious Christian life, obedience is not only necessary, it's the only way to live with the blessings of God, to walk close to him. Because when we do drift from him and we allow sin in our lives, that brings conflict. But even in that, God gives us the grace and the mercy, and his spirit tells us in his word that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and right to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to his word. Then Moses set apart three cities on the side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun that the manslayer might flee there who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in time past and that by fleeing to one of these cities he might live. These are in the wilderness on the plateau for the Reubenites, Ramoth, and Gilead for the Gadites and Gullan and Bashan for the Manassites. And so here we have... Um, uh, according to Numbers, God told uh, Moses and commanded Israel that they would have three cities of refuge on the east side of the Jordan. So uh, they're being obedient in that. And then we read uh, verse 44. Now this is the law which Moses set before the children of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which Moses spoke to the children of Israel after they came out of Egypt. On this side of the Jordan, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, in the land of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon, whom Moses and the children of Israel defeated after they came out of Egypt. And they took possession of his land, in the land of Og, king of Bashan, two kings of the Amorites, who were on this side of the Jordan, toward the rising of the sun, from Ariar, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, even to Mount Sihon, that is Hermon, and all the plain on the east side of the Jordan as far as the Sea of Arba, below the slopes of Pisgah. In chapter 5, Moses is going to begin giving the law. But before going into chapter 5, chapter 4 is all about recognizing the importance of approaching God. That's what he was reminding them of. Reminding them the necessity to see that God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. And he's given them the encouragement, the exhortation to take heed to the, to the commandments of God and to observe them. In other words, to apply them to their lives and live it out. And this is the same exhortation that the Holy Spirit is giving you and I today and every day from his word. 
that we would be reminded of God's faithfulness, reminded of how he's worked in our lives, the, the time when he delivered us from this world and the consequences of our sin and brought us into that right relationship with him. And then as we began to walk out our journey with him, him intervening in our life, giving us strength and encouragement. And even those times that we begin to fall away, maybe we call upon the Lord and he shows himself strong. You know what I'm talking about. There's times that we seem closer to the Lord because of our obedience, and then there's times of our disobedience. The point is, remember who God is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray, God, that and claim the, the truth of your word that it, it never goes and returns void. So we give you praise for that, Lord. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we have taken communion, that your spirit would continue to, to work in our hearts, that we would consider that you are the one true living God. And the one true living God has revealed himself to us. And Lord, this day we consider in our hearts how we choose to walk with you, to walk in holiness, that our lives would be a testimony to the world that you have indeed sent us out just as you sent your son Jesus. Father, would you have your way with your church here at Calvary Chapel? May we live in that deep, long, personal relationship with you and to be used by you that we would glorify the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this message or about following Christ, you can contact us at cccincinnati.org. Calvary Chapel, Cincinnati. Simply teaching the Bible simply.